Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We w- hope you had an amazing Christmas and, uh, and that you're excited to launch into a brand new year, 2023. Does, is it just me or does it seem like um, the years are flying by faster and faster and faster? I, I think it's a function of, uh, of age. I, I heard that said before. You know, when you're young, life goes so slow. And yeah, because every year is like, whoa, a whole year. I remember when yeah. I was uh, a freshman in high school and there was a, a family friend that was a senior and she was telling me, enjoy it while you can because it's going to fly by. And I'm thinking, fly by, you know, my whole academic career has been a caterpillar crawl, you know, and and she was right. I couldn't believe four years later, man, high school's gone. And my goodness, high school now is in the rear view mirror. (laughs) I can't even remember high school. Um, Time just seems to be flying and it's hard to believe we're coming into uh, a brand new year. Uh, And for me, it's always... uh, a time of reflection, uh, remembering what the great things that God did in 2022, but also beginning to set our focus on uh, what does the Lord have in store, both personally, for our family, for our church family, uh, as we uh, as we look to a, a brand new year. It's a time of, uh, of hope. So you got anything on your heart, anything you're looking forward to, or maybe something you'd like to leave behind in 2022? Some people are just like, thank God 2022 is over. Um, uh, I'm not that way. I, we had a lot to be thankful for in 2022, but I'm also very, very excited about what's in store this coming year. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> 2023. <laughs> we, we, there's a lot going on. So uh, a lot of different moving pieces going on. So, I, uh, you know, I, I probably need to take some time to really reflect and think about it. But right now, we're just like the, the, the spillover for 2022 is going straight into 2023. I know some of you guys feel the same way. It's like there's no like demarcation. Well, it's like, okay, one chapter is over. No, the chapter is ongoing. So I'm bridging 2023. So. I do think that's the mercy of God for us uh, this time prior to eternity that we actually have dates and calendars and New Year's. Because uh, I think some of you might be watching going, thank God I'm going to put a period on the end of 2022 maybe you know it was a loss of a loved one or some something very painful but you know it's the mercy of the lord that we get to start over it might feel like a spillover yeah well just the 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 assignments i have in my mind spill over but i i I was talking to it's just funny not talking to a buddy who works at the ymca and he he uh he's like he's like oh watch january you know, it's going to be super busy. I, I, I just asked. I said, at what point do they start kind of dying? It's like about February or so. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, so kind of get that, everybody's so. going to be at the Y. So my ammunition is, whatever your new initiative is, wait till at least March. Just beat February. That's your goal. I'm not saying go all the way to like December. Just beat February. So. Survive uh, four weeks in January and, and, and make it to February. And it'll yeah, be whatever a initiative, like brush your teeth, wash your hair, shower once a week, whatever it is, just go all the way to March. So, <laughs> uh, are you? Are we being sarcastic or what? I wasn't being sarcastic. All right, all right. I don't, we don't I'll be being real, realistic. I mean, yeah. All right. Uh, the other thing I get excited about is uh, the fact that you know around here, things should really kick off in earnest uh, as it relates to our facility. Uh, the rebar is in. The only reason they're not working on it now is because of uh, the blizzard that was coming. Uh, and uh, didn't want it buried in snow. But uh, as we uh, are ramping up for 2023, uh, everything's ready to put that foundation in, pour the concrete pad, and then the steel's going to start coming up. And I don't know about you, but I, I just, you know, when you're in the people business, people are not like buildings. You know, you don't get to watch, hey, 
Matt, it's great. You grew a wing this past week. The drywall came up in your life. That's awesome, dude. Uh, no, you know, personal spiritual growth is hidden sometimes. It's on the interior. It works its way out. It's a slow process. Uh, that's why I think pastors love expansion projects because uh, it's like, hey, the steel went up this week. Yeah, you know, uh, it's something tangible, concrete. And, uh, and literally, you get to watch that building take shape. And, of course, it's not just the building. It's what's going to happen inside that building. So I'm excited. I want to thank everybody for your faithfulness. And I, I just believe it's going to be fun. Each, each Sunday is going to be a milestone for us in 2023 as we try to figure out where to park people. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of something that's a spillover from last year to this year. <laughs> yeah. The parking problems of 2022 have yeah. not gone away in 2023. No. Uh, but anyway, these are these are wonderful things. Yeah. Uh, Pass Aaron's on top of it. He's, yeah, yeah. he's doing a great job. He so. is doing a great job. Yeah. We love you, Aaron. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Thank you for embracing the the pain of the parking. Yeah, the the, the small s suffering. Of, yes. Well, actually, it's pretty cold out there now, so <laughs> it might not be a small s anymore. Yeah. yeah. And you bring up a good point. We when we last left you, we were talking about uh, the gift of suffering. Of course, this is the final chapter in Rod Dreyer's book we've been working through called uh, "Live Not by Lies." And um, uh, we just talked about in our last episode uh, how foreign suffering is to the church in America. It's something to be avoided. We've created almost theologically a church without tears. Um, and we've really lost the richness of what God accomplishes in our lives, you know, through suffering. In fact, maybe a, a good point to, to start with here um, is uh, from James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I have a question. <clears throat> Could the immaturity of the church in America be largely rooted in the fact that we have rejected suffering and d done everything uh, to avoid inconvenience and, and pain at all costs, and as a result, we've missed out on the fruits of suffering, one of which is perseverance. Yeah. And the Bible says that if we'll embrace the, the suffering, consider it joy. I'm talking about righteous suffering, not stupid suffering. We, we've all been a part of stupid suffering, which results from sin and poor choices and, you know, bad decisions and all that. I'm not talking about suffering that's rooted in our stupidity. I'm talking about suffering for righteousness sake. There's something, when you press through and you persevere, the Bible says it produces a maturity in us that's very, very important to the strength of the church. And you and I were just talking about, uh, this, is just, this is a truth that applies to every dimension of life. You know, I was doing a hiring interview, and without going into detail, basically I thought the candidate was not a good fit because of, his or her lack of ability to suffer. Not even use those words per se, yeah. but but the lack of grit, the the, the entitlement. So the, so you, so give us an example of that situation. Like how did did you say, hey, are you willing to suffer? You didn't. You weren't asking you directly. No, but what I mean, exposed. I, yeah, I, basically he's asking, hey, what was something that was very difficult you in your previous job? And the, and the response was like, wow, you saw that as suffering, which most people at least. I did not think that was any type of suffering at all. Yeah. It's basically your job to do your job that you're supposed to do. Yeah. And, and that's that entitlement culture. And, and I recognize... And, and, and I know what you're talking about, So because we talked about this. So basically, it was like a situation where a person 
says, oh, it was such an injustice because I called my boss. I told him, I need two or three days off because emotionally I need to, right? I, I need to have some Something time like emotionally. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's like, wait a minute, you have responsibility. You have a boss. Your boss is trying to run a business. To run a business, you got to have employees, and you have to have employees that are faithful. And But that was viewed as an injustice that you just couldn't call off whenever you wanted to for, for whatever reason, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that was viewed as suffering, right? So, our, our, so, so again, it's the it's your toler the, the way I even if on that just a very practical basis, you the, the the my my perspective on who I'm looking to join my team is their ability to hand the grit to be able to handle suffering, and that's just a practical basis. I mean, that's just a, that's just the everyday basis of of uh, adaptability uh, capacity. You know, right. and so so when we kind of weed out, and we basically have a, a, a centralized religion in America today that's like eliminate suffering at all costs. Convenience is the number one king. Then we have an issue of maturity. We have an issue of productivity. We have an issue of entitlement. We have an issue of efficiency. You know, and so so there's something about uh, going through hardship together. Whether you know. Whether it's your personal hardship, but I come alongside of you and stand with you and support you, or whether we're going through it together, that has an incredible unifying and bonding effect. Um, and again, I think I, I think that the, probably the church in Eastern Europe or the Soviet bloc was not dealing with a lot of the things the typical pastor in America is dealing with. Because when you're facing um, torture, imprisonment, death, separation from your children, um, loss of job. I kind of get the feeling that if you're willing to stand in the midst of all that kind of heat, you're probably not bickering over like, how come I didn't get to choose the color of the carpeting in the nursery, you know, or why did they move the piano on the stage? I'm going to go to a different church. I mean, there's something about uh, true suffering that that bonds people together in a way that is just um, uh, powerful. The unity, the intimacy, the koinonia, um, uh, I think of the early church in the book of Acts or any underground church movement, those those folks were deeply committed to love each other because of the pain they were going through. Yeah, and and, and I think there's that tension point because we're also not saying we're going to go our way and pursue suffering right, right, right. and chase and like put suffering as a badge of honor. I mean, right. the, the past people or flagellate yourself or, you know, to, to conjure up some type of, of sacredness, some type of piety because of self self-inflicted suffering that's not what we're saying right. but 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 we just have to acknowledge that like i just you know so over uh, a couple of weeks ago uh over i took a uh, vacation week i really spent that week sleep training my my one-year-old baby girl and it was super tough for three days you know, she certainly feel like it was suffering, you know, because when you sleep train, you know, you basically have the little baby cry, you time it, you go in, you pick up the baby. Right. And for those who aren't parents out there, you know, then you comfort them and you put them down. I mean, you're suffering for the baby, you're suffering for us and yeah. just going through well, all basically the Basically, you're saying uh, that when the child cries, it doesn't mean that the child's, the child's not running the show. You're going to stay in bed, yes. you're going to sleep for this time. And if you cry, that's fine, but you're still going to stay in bed. And right. You're but not going to be rescued from your crying. It felt that way because it was a baby. We love her so much. We want her to be happy right. but but i mean it was three days but guess what after those three days man it was she has New peace world. Yeah. i have peace my wife has peace we have sleep at night i mean everyone was but i mean that was just the basic element of parenting 
that that says there's a fundamental element of quote unquote suffering. I, I would not put the big, I mean, the right, small right, right. S that has to go through in the, in the developmental stages of every person's life. Yep. Suffering is crucial, crucial to our lives. And when we try to eliminate it completely at all costs, we just miss the huge part of civilization of, of God's call for maturity, for growth, right. for development. It, it produces a, a weakness that when when the heat comes, it doesn't. You're not able to withstand the Absolutely. heat. Absolutely. And and I don't think we want. That's not what we're trying to produce in disciples. And so he brings up a really great point in the in that chapter: Are we raising up admirers of Christ mm. or disciples of Christ? And he talks about a 2019 um, movie called A Hidden Life. I don't know if maybe some of our, our listeners have watched that movie. I, I, I told Marion after reading this chapter, I, I said, I want to find this movie and watch it over the holidays. Basically, uh, it is the story of a, uh, a true story of uh, an Austrian Catholic farmer who refuses to serve in the Nazi army because he will uh, not swear loyalty to Adolf Hitler. For him, this would have been an act of idolatry. Now, in the, in the way that the movie plays out, evidently it was the priest who came to him and gave him bad counsel. I, 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 I was disappointed in the, in the priest because uh, evidently the priest said, look, just swear your loyalty. It's going to be easier on you. Keep your mouth shut. Uh, just conform. Go along. It's going to be easier on you, and it's certainly going to be easier on your wife and your children. In other words, swear loyalty to Hitler. God will understand the short the short run is it's going to be more comfortable uh, for you and your family than if you stand up. Well, I love it. He recognized that swearing allegiance to Hitler, loyalty to Hitler was an act of idolatry. And he said, no, I, I cannot do that. And as the story goes, uh, he was actually executed um, by the uh, Nazis and his crime was treason, treason against the state. So here we have two idols. We have, um, we have the idol of the state, not an idol, but two competing authorities, the state or Jesus Christ as Lord. Mm -hmm. And he recognized that the lordship of Christ demanded his uh, first and foremost allegiance. There was a cost involved. In this situation, there was a great cost involved. But the point he's bringing out here is, are we really admirers of Jesus or, or are we true disciples and followers of Jesus? And, and there is a difference. He said... Um, uh, he talked about a, a, a man in the, the discussion that was had in this movie with a uh, painter or a stained glass maker uh, in the church. And he said, people will come in and they admire the beauty of the stained glass. The stained glass, though, is meant to tell a picture. And what this man was lamenting was the fact, he says, we, we have people tour these churches and we, they, they're admirers of the art, but they're not followers of the person that the art's about. In other words, these beautiful pictures are not creating repentance and faith and leading to conversion. It's just creating a bunch of artistic admirers. So the, the image was pretty powerful, the metaphor. Our, at, on church, on Sunday, are people coming in and going, oh, that was a great song. Um, oh, the worship team did such a beautiful job. I love the Christmas decorations. Oh, Pastor Ron's message was really inspirational. Um, I really like that church. Um, in other words, are they just making a tour on Sunday morning and kind of being consumers and connoisseurs of religious experience? Or is what's happening really producing faith and conversion? 
you know, repentance from our old way, faith in Christ. And unfortunately, he was saying that, that suffering is really a litmus test because suffering is one of the best ways to determine whether you're simply an admirer or whether you're really a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and our culture is great at creating admirers, right? Um, admirers who, who see themselves as followers, but really they're admirers. I mean, I think just our sports team culture, you know. Um, I remember years ago, some famous uh, college basketball coach was like, don't say they want, say we want. I mean, he basically was trying to include, make himself more inclusive so all the all the followers of their sports team who never even went to the university can say, oh, identify with them and so forth. Right. And I was just like, you're watching from a screen. How? Because <laughs> I, you know, okay, it was Duke University. Okay, so so I have these Duke, like famous Duke University, like Duke right. fans and whatever, who's never <clears throat> went to Duke University, who's never sacrificed at all. I mean, they cheered on. I guess they they suffered when the team lost. I don't know. And I'm just thinking, you're trying to make them like they're part of you, but they really, there is no buy-in at all. I mean, outside of just admirers. So I think that line has been largely blurred in our culture. Right. Like, you're a diehard Bears fan or a Cubs fan and whatever, but you're just an admirer. You're not yeah. out on the gridiron. You're not out in the... 10 degree weather hitting another person, you know? Right, right. You haven't gone through the pain. The Can suffering. we just admit that we're Myers? But I think because we blur that line so much in pop culture, yeah. in the church, we feel like this is the same way. We're all cheering Jesus on as he goes across, Jesus, Jesus. But in our own lives, we're like, eh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put on the jersey. And it's interesting, you know, Jesus said, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Yeah, he made a distinction clearly. Well, and I'm thinking, yeah. we don't have the jersey, but we have the jewelry. Yeah. And uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with wearing a cross, right. a necklace, or whatever. But it's interesting that many, you know, and you see this in Hollywood, you know, the rap stars, whatever, everybody's wearing gigantic, gaudy crosses yeah. while you're making millions singing about things that crucified Jesus, you know, and glorifying things that actually led Christ to the cross. It's, a, it's interesting. And then if, if the same person wearing that cross is confronted with standing up for Jesus at the workplace, do they live out the full ramifications of, of basically the instrument of execution that you're wearing around right. your neck? Right. So it's kind of like wearing the Duke jersey from the comfort of your living room right. uh, and being mad or yelling at the guy didn't do the play right when you're you know three thousand miles away eating popcorn. Right, in the right. Your court, your arm, uh, what is it? <laughs> Armchair quarterback. And, and so, so Jesus would be the coach that says, no, 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 no. Don't say you're part of our team. If you want to be part of our team. Study, <laughs> show up at practice. Show, show up at practice. Get into the school. Show up to practice. You know, um, run. You know, win sprints with us. You know, yeah. get in the game. Get elbow in the face, and then you're part of our team. And that's really what Jesus was saying when he's like, "Hey, unless you take your cross, follow me, you cannot be my disciple." I mean, he had clarity. He wasn't all inclusive. And as it relates to the cross again and the message of the gospel. Of course, you know, all of the original 12 were willing to lay their lives down. John John did not uh, die by uh, torture. Uh, it's an amazing story with his life. But yeah. all the other disciples, it cost them their lives. Yeah. Uh, Peter being crucified upside down. I was in India where James, there's a, a, a memorial of James's martyrdom. Um, in other words, they weren't just admirers. Um, when push came to shove, they were willing to pay the price. And that, that's what he talks about in the book. He says admirers 
love to be associated with Jesus, but when trouble comes, they either turn on him or they create a distance between the gospel and him. I won't mention any names, but there's a certain Hollywood star uh, who's a good guy, uh, and he's trying to be a, a, um, a Christian as best as he can in Hollywood, but every time a little bit of, of his faith leaks out, he gets attacked by uh, the Hollywood mob. And I noticed that every time that happens, he starts backpedaling and distancing as fast as he can. Now, again, I, I'm not living in Hollywood. I don't know what's going on. Um, but it's amazing how fame and worldly success and money uh, can temper how passionate we are about standing up for Christ. And then when the mob starts assaulting us because we let a little bit of our love for Jesus squeak out, it's, it's amazing to see how fast people will backpedal. I, I think it goes back to because he... he he or she, I don't know who you're talking about, basically has uh, conditioned themselves into the soft uh, pink totalitarian, soft totalitarianism. Because here's the thing is, is the voices that truly speak to your life are part of your, I mean, I think we addressed this issue before, the small group. If you're a small group are solid, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. So when you subject yourself to Twitterverse, to social media, man, you're, you're going, that's your world. That's all the voices you hear, right? And, and so even part of that resistance is to say, hey, I gotta st- if I'm going to speak out, who are the people in my corner that's aligned with me on these values? Then it doesn't matter what anyone else says, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You don't even you know hear it. <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah, he says a couple of things that yeah. piggyback on what you just said. The, the follower recognizes the cost of discipleship and is willing to pay it. So it's not, you know, go back to Bonhoeffer's cheap grace. A true follower of Jesus recognizes that um, the purpose of grace is not to allow us to deny Christ or get out of jail free or live a compromised life. Grace gives us the ability to stand for truth, and truth costs us something. And so the true follower of Christ is willing to pay the price, not run from the price. He says, admirers never make true sacrifices. They always play it safe. Mm. I thought, man, that is a great a great picture of, of American culture today. Are we... Are we wanting to play it safe um, when push comes to shove? Again, for standing up for Christ, what it's going to cost us, or, or are we willing to, to put our neck out on the line and be willing to pay whatever the price is? You know, I think about some of these folks that are still paying a price for the stand that they made for simply saying, you know what, I'm not going to celebrate something that I believe goes against the Bible. And so because of that, they've been sued, they've been ridiculed, they've been put out of business, they've had to spend years in battling uh, in court. I mean, there's a, there a price when they could have just simply baked the cake. I mean, come on, just bake the cake. In fact, some people would say, it's a Christian thing to do, just bake the cake. But when it goes against clear biblical teaching on marriage or when it goes against clear biblical teaching on sexuality and you're a Christian trying to honor Christ in the marketplace, you don't just bake the cake and you don't baptize bake the cake in Jesus' love uh, when when Jesus' love violates Jesus' truth. There can't be any dichotomy between the two. And so I think there are people that have been willing to be true disciples of Christ, not just admirers, and it's cost them a lot, where some people would say, come on, just go along. Or how about this one? Jesus knows your heart. How many times have we heard that one? Jesus knows your heart. So go ahead and, and compromise and distance yourself from Christ publicly because Jesus knows your heart. And I want to say, yeah, that's the problem. Jesus knows our wicked, compromising, carnal, cowardly heart um, better than we know our heart. And so, um, again, what you believe comes out most clearly when it's put under fire, tested by fire. And I think that's the point of whether we're admirers or whether we're 
disciples. What comes out of us when the heat's turned up? That's going to be who you who you truly are. Yeah. Um, I want to go back here to section two. He said how important it is to suffer without bitterness. That's a tough one, isn't it? We've all gone through situations when we've uh, uh, been persecuted. And I use persecuted in quotes because it's not anything like uh, the hard totalitarianism. But we've gone through suffering for the gospel. Maybe you're being made fun of. I prayed with a couple teenagers at the altar the other day who are standing up in the public schools for Jesus. And, and they're ridiculed. They're mocked for it. And they're made fun. They're ostracized. It hurts. Uh, when you're 16 years old and you know you're you're outside of the camp, so to speak, because of Christ. But you know, I always encourage these young people. These are great opportunities for God to develop strength of character, for you to shine for Christ in the midst of you know external pressure, and for you to really demonstrate that you are a disciple and not simply an admirer of Christ. But the hard part is not letting bitterness come up in our hearts towards our enemies. And I can't imagine. I cannot imagine being in a place where I've lost my job or I've lost my my freedom or I've been put in prison, I've gone through, I've been beaten, and yet to have that kind of, of love for your enemies, uh, even as Jesus modeled for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the stories that they tell um, in the book are amazing. Um, he says, um, Jesus is not satisfied with mere church going, but he wants believers to live for Christ at all times and in all places, this whole idea of religious liberty. Again, this was talking about a doctor. And, you know, this week, we're, we're only a few days away from, from uh, a new year. And for those of you that aren't familiar with what we do here at Living Stones, um, a number of years back, the Holy Spirit really spoke to me about starting off the new year in weakness, um, which, again, is something that seems counterintuitive to us. Like, we want to go, and, yeah, we're going to start off in strength, and we're going to claim all the victory in the Lord and all that kind of stuff. You know, but Jesus said this, if, if, we'll, if we'll come to him in weakness and brokenness and humility, his strength will be made perfect in, through our weakness. In other words, our weakness is a vehicle by which the strength of Christ manifests. And so I think we have a lot to learn from people who have gone through intense suffering. You know, I pray that none of us ever have to. We're not, like you said, we're not celebrating weakness or suffering or, or uh, torture or death or any of that. We hope none of that happens in America but his point was, we need to learn from people who have gone through the most intense uh, suffering and actually came out on the other side, not bitter, but full of love and grace and compassion. And this doctor who was imprisoned, a young doctor, uh, he made the following statement. He said, the more I surrendered uh, in weakness, the greater his spiritual strength was in me. So when he's going through physical torture, which I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, you know, we got a hangnail or we, or we touch something hot and we burn ourselves and you realize how much that hurts. I can't imagine when your whole body is racked with pain and this happens day after day after day. What, how did they survive? He said every time he went through that agony and that pain, he, number one, identified with Christ and considered it a privilege that my pain, he says, I'm giving my pain as an offering to Jesus who suffered on my behalf. So I'm going to identify in weakness with Christ's suffering. I'm going to embrace his suffering as my own, and I'm going to take my suffering and give it as an offering back to Jesus. Um, and, and by way of identifying in that weakness and in that pain and in that suffering, it was actually that's when he received the supernatural strength of the Lord to endure. And I remember reading about Richard Wormbrand, who was a Romanian pastor, when the Soviets came in 
uh, he said the Soviets were worse than the Nazis um, as far as just their wickedness and the depth of their depravity and their just demonic uh, joy that they got in torturing people. And he would be in his prison cell. Uh, he said at nighttime he'd have to kick the rats away because the rats would come and start eating his flesh and eating his feet. Uh, I can't imagine trying to sleep every night and fighting rats off all night long. The prison cell was freezing. He had uh, not proper clothing, barefooted, barely clothed, uh, horrible food. And he would testify of times when the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit would fill that cell. And he said he found himself twirling like a child in joy uh, in worship of the Lord. Literally, uh, as the Bible talks about joy unspeakable, full of glory. I can't imagine in the midst of incredible suffering that the presence of Jesus would be so close that his presence would cause a joy that was uh, it, it, it didn't make sense uh, it should not that's not a place where you should find that kind of crazy supernatural joy but it happened not by you know shaking your fist and being mad at God and trying to bitterly you know resist your your torture it happened by when you offered yourself as a sacrifice to the lord and you you considered a joy and a privilege to suffer with christ mm -hmm. uh that's something that i've never experienced i've never had to go through uh most of us in the west have not had to go through that but i'll tell you what that's some sweet sweet uh revelation coming from people who have walked through something that i, I feel like we can really learn from as we're trying to deal with our own challenges i, I just think e even I mean, again, hearing hearing those some of these stories, it, I, I have a such hard time connecting with it in my reality, and and part of this is like I don't want that to become my reality, nor the reality of my kids or your kids. However, I guess the 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 practical learning step is even though we're not living in that reality, there are things right now that God call us to. I wouldn't use the word suffer, but cost us to uh, something that cost us. Obedience is costly. Yeah, it might not be suffer through rats eating your feet at night, but it might means that you can't wash something, or you can't do something, or you need to can't buy something, or or um, you have to manage your time better, or you can't emotionally outburst this way. On a fundamental level, I think. How do you maintain this level of grit, this level of right understanding theology when things are going well, right? That's when the problem comes, right? It's not when things are bad. It's when things are going well. Is right. that we need to honor those times of cost and say, no, there is a cost right now. Right now, I might not be big as suffering, but but on the, on the micro level, there's a small S that I, on a daily basis, need to give I and mean, we talk about workers worship and when you have a boss that i'm not even talking about religious liberty issues i'm just talking about a boss who you might not get along with a job that you find menial well there's a small s suffering right. that you have to to work hard in the middle of that can we even achieve that on a practical level right. you know the challenge is it's it's i don't want to say easy it's when, when you live in a, in a land like America where there's so much blessing and so mm -hmm. much freedom, and of course it was the fruits of the gospel, the challenge for me is can I live a life in honor of the Lord? Can I die to my flesh? Can I enjoy yeah. the things around me? I mean, God's right. not against us enjoying things. But, but can I live, can I still love Jesus and put him first and be passionate about Christ in an environment of right. blessing? Or do I need to experience suffering to make me truly 
get it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and I, I would hope that we could live in a land of great blessing and actually use our blessing, yeah. steward our blessing well, not for upon ourselves only, but to right. be a blessing to people, to the nations. And I think this is why, like, uh, taming our appetite for pleasure is so important. Now, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, that means you have to eat vegetables and, and you can't watch <laughs> any TV and you got to just only listen to classical. No, but 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 I, we have to ask ourselves the question as we continue to grow in wealth and prosperity, what is enough? Because the human appetite is never, right. like, never it, it's never satisfied, right? So what is enough in terms of your living standard? And I know business guys who are just like, who are just like, this is how much I'm going to make. As a business continues to grow, beyond that, it's not going to, because I, not because I can't do it, I can, but because I want to control my appetite. I'm doing it for me to control my my appetite for pleasure. All the extras will go to develop people, bless people, developing a business, whatever. And I'm just like, man, what a good example. Now, the person's not living in in like poverty, they're living well, but, but they at least put a limit to themselves. In the well, middle real, of this prosperity. Like we talked about, they realize our, our prosperity is for a greater purpose. Yeah. That's why I'm so excited, and I want to, you know, uh, sh- give a shout-out to our people. Um, we just advertised our mission trips for this coming year. Uh, one of the trips is to the Ukraine. We're also going to Honduras. Uh, these are places where the needs are screaming. I mean, we have a whole bunch of people, especially the church in, in the Ukraine that stayed and ministered to the people um, in the midst of this conflict. They're going into wintertime, and some of them don't have any heat. Um, and we're talking about basic, you know, necessities. Um, why did God prosper us? Why do we have extra? Why are why do we have expendable income? When you're connected with the body of Christ at large, and you share the sufferings of your brothers and sisters, they might not be your personal sufferings, but we share that because these are our brothers and sisters. This is, I think, what keeps us honest and keeps us healthy no, well, so we don't lose sight of the well, goal we're exposed to those who are less fortunate suffering that keep us steady that keep us from just luxury upon luxury so there are ways teaching on this theology of suffering and practically you know putting especially our young people through through training through initiation so that they're not just getting everything right then and there i mean i we I, you know, I just talk like teaching our kids um how to work hard, have grit, and not being tight is one of the most difficult things because you, your heart is to bless them. You right. want to give them everything. You don't right. want them to go through pain. And that's but you why also I, recognize they need it. They absolutely need that's it. That's why I believe you buy them a passport and you get them out of the country as soon as possible because I don't care where you send them in the world. Uh, they're going to be exposed to a whole different reality. And sometimes when you see the brokenness and you see the pain and you see, again, part of the global church uh, experiencing what they go through on a on a regular basis, mm-hmm. it awakens in your heart a greater purpose. And I think I think for this next generation, for all of us, you live us you are born and living a selfish, self absorbed life. That's what happens when you live in prosperity. It's it's a byproduct. You have to fight against that. You have to do something to stop it. And so, most of American culture is bored or self indulgent. We're we're spoiled. Um, We've not made any sacrifices, and that's just because that's our, that's the culture in which we're raised. You have to get out of that culture. You gotta get you gotta get exposed to pain and suffering for a wake up call. Hopefully, it's not your own, sure. um, but the pain and suffering of other people. That's one of the healthiest things I think that can happen as we're trying to raise godly children, is to let them know you have been blessed, but with great blessing comes great responsibility. 
And the blessing is not meant to inoculate you from challenges or hardship or suffering uh, of this life. Um, so I want to invite people, you know, this coming week uh, on a Monday and Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, if you're local, uh, we're going to have an incredible gathering uh, with Jim and Lisa Anderson. Uh, it's called Week One. We're just going to give ourselves in worship, give ourselves in surrender, come to the Lord in brokenness and humility, um, and present ourselves to the Lord and ask that His strength would come and be made perfect in our weakness. Uh, Jim carries a powerful, powerful message uh, uh, about brokenness, about uh, ministry, about being uh, protectors as men, not predators, about purity. I mean, it's going to be a really powerful couple of days. Uh, really encourage you to come out and be a part of that. Also, we, we've begun a, a brand new series called Remarkable. Uh, it's a little play on words, but it's basically looking at the gospel of Mark through are looking at the glory of Jesus Christ through the eyes of Mark. So we're going to be working through the gospel of Mark. That's going to be a really, really great time together. Um, so anyway, we just wish you uh, an incredible new year. Pray that God's blessing would be upon you. And then most of all, uh, you know, one thing I can tell people, uh, and not because I'm a prophet, because this is just reality, every new year is going to be somewhat the same. You're going to experience some great blessing. Praise the Lord. And you're also going to experience some great challenges. Praise the Lord. Uh, I've never been through one year of my life that was not a mixture of blessing and pain. And, uh, and that's just the nature of, this, of life this side of eternity. So let me give a prophetic word for you in 2023. You're going to experience great blessing. And you're going to experience some challenges along the way. That's why we need each other. We need to stay Christ-focused. We need to embrace the journey. And we need to let the Lord continue to work out his beautiful plan and purposes in our lives. So Amen. what a great way to, a great posture. Let me just say this too, January 1st on a Sunday. I love it. Can't think of a greater way to kick off our new year than to come together with God's people and to worship him. So whether you're a member of our church family or you're, you've got another church that you attend, make it a priority to start your year uh, in worship and weakness and asking God to crown your year with, with supernatural blessing. And I know that he will. Thanks so much for tuning in. It is a joy that you would share this time with us. As always, we love your feedback. We love for you to share this podcast with your friends. Uh, give us your comments, uh, interact with us, uh, like it, share it, uh, promote it. Uh, and like I say, help us polish it as well so that we, uh, we make it as good as possible. So Hey, happy yeah. new year. Happy new year. Happy, happy new, new year. year. Happy new year. Uh, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Thanks so much.